It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Across the West, the link between capitalism and progress is facing tough questions. Although jobs are plentiful, growth is sluggish, inequality exacerbates tensions, and the global temperature itself is rising, the result, many believe, of irresponsible behaviour by companies down the decades. Yet politics veers between instability and gridlock. In America on Tuesday, Congress began an impeachment inquiry into President Trump. The actions taken to date by the president have seriously violated the Constitution, especially when the president says, Article 2 says I can do whatever I want. On the same day in Britain, the Supreme Court ruled that the Prime Minister's recent suspension of Parliament had been unlawful. It had the effect of frustrating or preventing the ability of Parliament to carry out its constitutional functions without reasonable justification. Sending MPs back to the old logjam of irreconcilable positions on what to do next. So can big business step in to help fix social and economic problems? You're listening to The Economist Asks. I'm Anne McElvoy, and this week we're asking, are CEOs the new politicians? I'm in New York City, backstage at the Bloomberg Global Business Forum, hot on the heels of the UN General Assembly. My guest is one of the biggest names in US business and sometimes politics. Michael Bloomberg is a philanthropist and three-term mayor of New York City. His eponymous creation, the Bloomberg Terminal, which first brought traders and analysts real-time market information, still populates and powers financial trading floors worldwide. He's the UN Special Envoy for Climate Action, and he's ranked as ninth richest man in the world. Michael Bloomberg, welcome to The Economist Asks. I'm going to dive in on the political ferment of the week. It's about two years ago since you told me that you thought impeachment was inconceivable. Well, on Tuesday, Nancy Pelosi announced that Congress would begin a formal impeachment inquiry. She's resisted that for a long time. Has she made the right call? Well, two years ago, you had a Republican House and a Republican Senate. Today, you have a Democratic House, so they could vote the act of impeachment, but you have a Republican Senate, and I still think it is inconceivable that they would convict Remember that Bill Clinton was impeached but didn't leave office. Richard Nixon knew he was going to be impeached and dropped out before they got to that process. Impeachment is there for a reason. I'm glad we have it in the Constitution. But fundamentally, it's up to the public. The uh, public should have the right to put somebody in office and then take somebody out of office. Now, having said that, Nancy Pelosi has a job. Congress has a job of oversight. And if there are allegations, they should look into those allegations. From a political point of view, it would, I think, galvanize his constituency more so. I'm not even sure that's possible. Incidentally, he's a religion for his uh, supporters, as was Hillary. 
although you can see how quickly the religion disappears. Uh, Donald Trump has said he thinks it would be overall a positive for his chances of winning a second I wouldn't term. rush to do it, but it, I don't think it'd be catastrophic. And I think putting out these things, uh, it's what I call the Richard Nixon lesson. It's the cover-up that kills you. Get it out. Get it out early. Uh, let everybody have a field day. And the attention span that the American public has in this day and age is so short that uh, you could have 20 impeachments between now and the general election and still not get there. You yourself are one of the dark horses who didn't run, or at least hasn't run yet. Joe Biden is still the, the favorite. I think you have well, some affinities. Well, I saw a poll the other day that Joe said Biden. that Elizabeth Warren was one point ahead of him in one of the primary states. I think it was Iowa. And she actually was tied or slightly ahead of him. And what do you make of that? I was just about to say edging ahead of the polls. You're reading the same. Well, he was 20 points ahead and now he's tied. That's not edging. So what do you conclude from that about the Biden campaign? I think he's still probably the favorite. He was vice president of the United States for a long time and a senator for a long time. So he has name recognition. That's worth something. Um, He has uh, a compelling family story, very tragic. That's worth something in an election. It's, It's sad that it is, but I think that is true. And he's a really nice guy. And that's worth something in an election. So yeah, at the moment, he's probably still ahead if you did a more comprehensive poll than just Iowa. Uh, but uh, anybody that thinks they own an election, um, David Garth, who was a big political strategist in New York, said you can't peak too early. Nevertheless, it's a long time till the primaries Although you can make the case that February, you're going to have two caucuses, two elections, and Super Tuesday. And so by five months from now, it could very well be over. Let's put aside the Joe Biden story. Elizabeth Warren is clearly polling very well. She's perhaps, I think, been taken a bit more seriously around, if we look around here in the business community. She's a decent chance. She's certainly one of the two frontrunners. How do you feel about that? Uh, Wealth tax, have you on companies? Could you think that here, if we look around the kind of well, captains of industry and business and finance you've got okay. here at this conference, how will they respond to Elizabeth look, Warren? N- number one, it would not be a shock, and certainly not the first time, that somebody ran in a primary saying one thing and then ran in a general election doing something else, and incidentally, getting elected and in the real world doing a third thing. So we should not put... Sounds like you think she's more moderate than she's letting on. Well, I think she is adopting a strategy for designed for her current campaign, which is liberal Democrats. But in all fairness to Elizabeth Warren, I think she is genuine and has really believed the same things for a long time, much more so than some of the candidates who've dropped out already, uh, who changed their views overnight. Uh, every day based on another poll. And the public is smart enough to understand that. And they didn't support them. And so they're, they're, they are gone. It, it sounds, I might be reading too much into this, Mr. Boomberg, that you're kind of chilled about a, a bit of a correction leftwards on American capitalism. Would I be right? Well, I think an awful lot of what Elizabeth Warren has proposed is uh, not possible to implement and is the wrong thing to implement, both. A wealth tax is probably not going to get through Congress. The uh, Medicare for all, uh, the economics just don't work. You could bankrupt every hospital and every doctor who has loans to pay back and that sort of thing. I would give her credit for believing. I think she genuinely thinks these are the right things. Credit for doing a lot of research. She is anything but stupid. And every one of her position papers that I've read, well thought out. I just think the conclusions are wrong. Do I think she would be cataclysmic? No, Um, even though I don't agree with her. 
two th- two reasons. One, um, people change when they get into office and and recognize the reality of how they have to build a consensus. And the other thing is that what is possible and what is appropriate uh, isn't what everybody wants all the time. And if you are going to, for example, solve income inequality, which everybody says, me included, that we have to do something about it. Society cannot live with the kinds of income inequality we have. If you are going to solve that, you have to move money from the wealthy to the poor. And so every one of my friends says, we have to solve income inequality. And I said, okay, well, then you're going to have to pay for it. Oh, I don't want to do that. But we're going to have to do that. And we already do that. We have a graduated income tax. And would you yourself want to pay more tax? My taxes actually went up because of assault, the uh, non-deductibility of state and local taxes. Uh, Even though I got a tax cut, I said I didn't need it. I didn't need it. You could argue we should have raised taxes rather than cut them on individuals and use the money for infrastructure. The part of the tax bill that made some sense was the um, tax on corporations where we were higher than everybody else and couldn't compete. But we certainly didn't lose business on the um, uh, personal income side. You've been in both parties and an independent. Yeah, I'm an expert on partisan politics. I was about to say that's less imaginable now as the political polls move move apart. But it also means you, you've been a cat who's walked through interesting gardens politically. Let's put it, uh, put it that way. Americans wouldn't phrase it that way, but that's, that's okay. My former English wife might. We're crossing the Atlantic in this podcast. That's part of the appeal, we hope. Do you think that someone like you could get elected today? And indeed, if Joe Biden, for whatever reason, drops back, drops out of the race... What do you think of coming back in? You never quite well, say I've never. Said, I've said no, that um, I looked at it. Um, I, we did polling. Uh, no question I would have loved the opportunity to try to make a difference. I uh, it would run on my record of 12 years, which most people think was pretty good. But the polls say that the most likely voters in the Democratic Party are much more liberal than I am and would not vote for me. Now, if I was the only one, they would vote. If I was the only one that they thought could beat Donald Trump, they might. But uh, our conclusion was you could not get uh, the nomination. And there are plenty of other ways to make a difference. I have made a lot of money. I'm giving it all away, uh, changing the world, I hope, and uh, want the opportunity to do it more. Is there now a more distinct disadvantage to being a mature, wealthy, white male in American politics? Well, I was asked this morning about um, age, and I said, look, the, number one, everybody that's the same chronological age is has very different physical and mental ages. Uh, and number two— Were you thinking I, about criticism of Joe Biden there? Well, uh, Trump is in his 70s, Warren's in his 70s, Biden's in his 70s, Sanders in his 70s, and I'm in the 70s. The only five people we're talking about are all in their 70s, okay? But I think it's not age you should be talking about. It, it is uh, experience and uh, accomplishment. It's kind of hard for a young millennial to argue that they have experience and accomplishment. They have ideas and they have an enthusiasm and we desperately need them to be part of the process. But I would argue the 
requirement to be president of the United States is management experience. It's a management job, not a policy job. You hire people for policy. You, your, your ethics and your leadership is what makes management work. You cannot buy a book on skiing and then go ski double black diamonds. You have to have been there and paid your dues and worked your way up slowly. Yeah, I think you kind of went on the, the black diamonds uh, from what I've, what I've heard of you on the ski sled. I also fell a lot. <laughs> What do you make of this administration's economic uh, policy? This talk of a, another recession, or are you a bearable? The problems for the Democrats is what the Trump administration wants to do is not something that they think is wrong, but they can't possibly go out and support it for partisan reasons. So Trump isn't necessarily wrong. If you want to measure uh, the economy by the stock market, I defy you to find anybody that would have thought when Trump got elected, the stock market would go up 35%, whatever the percentage is, maybe more now, it's probably 40% higher. But the, did stock, you, you didn't expect that. Nobody did. Nobody. Come on. I mean, it was going down a thousand points the first day. That's what everybody thought. And the, the market, incidentally, when they announced that, that he was winning, the market crashed a thousand points in the middle of the night. And only two or three of my friends bought stock then, at least they say they did. And it came right back, okay? So you can measure it by that. Uh, unemployment, record low, okay? For all categories, minorities and majorities and young and old, skilled and not skilled, educated, not skilled. And, and so if you want to measure the economy by those things, he's got he a lot like to get, brag about. You sound like you think he has, has a, a record. And other than Oh, he certainly has a record. Tax, what do you think about the economic outlook overall? Uh, I think things are slowing down somewhat. Nothing goes up in a straight line. This has been going up for a long time. Um, and there are certainly big problems in the world. Every day I wake up and I read about Brexit and Smexit and this and that and the other thing. And I keep thinking to myself, the market's got to go down today. And it doesn't. Climate Action Week uh, here in New York is very much at the heart of what you do. You, you're all running on a program beyond carbon, moving yep. the U.S. out of the carbon-based economy. A lot of criticism, however, that for all the fine words down the road at the U.N. Climate Action Summit, not much is really happening. Oh, that's not true. Not true. We've okay. done an awful lot. We've funded the Sierra Club, who did a lot of the legwork, closed 297 out of the 530 coal-fired power plants in America, still closing them. We think we can get them all out by 2020. We've just started working in Europe, closed 70-odd power plants already. Uh, England went uh, one day recently without any non-renewable energy. Um, the United States is uh, the renewables are growing leaps and bounds. States like Texas and Oklahoma, where former governors went into the administration uh, riling against renewables, both those states generate a third of their electricity already from wind and keep going. But if you listen to the speech of Greta Thunberg at the uh, conference, we are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? Her criticism was that this is still lagging behind what her generation needs, what the planet needs. Okay, I think that, that is probably true. But the real world is you don't just walk in and tell people what to do. The real world is you've got to pass it through something called democracy, and you've got to fund it through taxes. If it was as easy as, as the most optimistic or the most demanding people thought, we'd be a lot further down the road. There was a bit of a pushback as well, I think, from Emmanuel Macron on the idea you could have lawsuits or should have lawsuits against some governments that she uh, considered weren't taking enough action, including France and Germany. Do you think that was a, a practical idea? And was not, not particularly. I think what the courts would say, that's up to the political process. 
You know, if, if the public elects officials that do certain things, it's kind of hard to make the case when you come back and sue them and say they shouldn't have had the right to vote. I don't think so. I think they have a right to vote and then they have an expectation that what they want will be uh, implemented. But do we think two things at once here? So much of, of what you've done has been pointing out that capitalism can be progressive, it can be beneficial, Absolutely. on climate change, do we risk, I think this was Emmanuel Macron's point, sort of contra Greta Thunberg, which is you risk if you go radical, which you may feel you need to do, alienating a lot of people who say uh, they're not in the same narrative as you, they feel it's yet another well, liberal Well, if you go there, then you're not going to implement it. So, I mean, you have to be practical in terms of the Trump election, Macron as well, um, Brexit, all of these things are coming out from a rebellion against the establishment, from people that think that the government is not helping them. I think if you take a look at some of the economics, like the stock market, unemployment, that sort of thing, government is not perfect, but it is helping them. They just don't understand how it's helping them. And they don't understand the practical reality. I want to cure cancer. I get into office. I can't wish it away. I can't pass a law. But if to be a bit testing about business and, and climate change, I think only a fifth, around a fifth of the world's 200 largest companies by market yeah, cap are on track to meet the Paris targets. How many was it uh, three years ago? Only a fifth in the context of if you started today, but if you started at zero and it's worked its way up to the fifth and it's going, look, what is driving the companies is that their stockholders want them to do this. Okay, when Fidelity, who represents the uh, uh, municipal pension fund, comes in to your company and says, how'd you do first quarter? But first, tell us, what are you doing in ESG things? That forces the company to do it. We have a program that Mark Carney helped start in the UK and then one in the, similar uh, in the United States, both run by Mary Shapiro, uh, one of our employees who used to be the head of the Securities and Exchange Commission, uh, to let companies report on a comparable basis their environmental footprint, which lets investors make decisions based on that. And so companies are driven first by that, or not first maybe, but I think very importantly by that. Number two, it's good for business. Generally speaking, pro-environmental stuff generates more capital, more jobs than anti. So that's number two. Number three, your employees want it. It's a very big deal for us when we recruit at colleges um, to say, if you work for Bloomberg, all the profits go to cure cancer. If you work for that other company, they do something else. So, I mean, there are reasons why companies do this, and those reasons get more and more compelling the more companies that do it. So you would think that not only is it going to keep going up, the second derivative should go up as well. It should be going up at a faster rate for competitive reasons. There is a new interest, some might even say slightly faddish interest, in, in business having a purpose beyond profit or putting yes, that front I, I read that and I wrote an editorial saying I didn't necessarily agree with the, I think it was the round table where they signed it. I, I think companies should have a philanthropic interest wherever they do business. We do that as well. I think companies should be very sensitive to their impact on the environment. They have an obligation to do that. But fundamentally, I do not want the heads of the big banks deciding on the social policies of our world and country and where we spend our money, nor do I want the activists who are delivering those services to decide how the generators of the capital that we use run their businesses. And I think having the two separately, their objectives should be different. Not to say they shouldn't do some things, not that they shouldn't be very involved in being part of the process, 
but their objective is to make money and distribute it and let the stockholders then decide what to do with it. And the idea of, of purpose is front and center of what businesses do or say they do. How much is it about staving off future regulation? I think that most businesses, what many people miss, is businesses say, look, tell me what the law is and I will comply with it and go about my business. What business can't live with is not more regulation. They can't live with changing regulation that changes every day or every week or every month. Also, they are better off with stronger federal regulation because, at least in America, if they don't get that, then each individual state tries to put in their own laws. And I thought George W., who's a great guy and a friend, I thought he made a mistake in not having a stronger SEC. And what that did is it opened the floodgates for the state to start creating a world where the companies really don't know what to do. Anything you wouldn't do now for climate reasons that you did during your rise to riches? Look, you know, 10, 20 years ago, this was not a big agenda item for most people. I'd like to look back and say that we did it. Uh, when I was in City Hall, we have a pretty good record of environmental stuff. So by that time, by 2001, I was reasonably attuned to it and over the years grew more and more attuned to it. My interest in Johns Hopkins grew more and more attuned to public health issues. Um, but I don't remember us, you know, did we use plastic straws? yes. Did I think about uh, plastic bottles flooding the ocean? No, nor did anybody else. Um, so I don't think there's, there's very much. I mean, in small things, I'm sure you can go back. We do change the focus and change the regulation of how we deal with one another. Uh, the Me Too world didn't exist. A very short time ago, didn't exist. Uh, nobody ever heard of a hashtag. And uh, these things have lives of their own, but they come on us with time. And so trying to rewrite history never made any sense to me. You told me a couple of years ago that there were other things to aim for in the back nine of life than running for president. Yes. If you still don't want to run for president, what's your goal now? Ramp up our uh, philanthropy. I give all the company's profits to the foundation, but I think we can uh, spend money faster. I have a foundation which is going to uh, outlive me, and I'm more inclined now to say I'd rather give the money away in shorter time frames. So I made a gift of uh, well over $2 billion to Johns Hopkins. It's a dent. We still have plenty of money left to go. But uh, doing more things quicker because I think if I could cure cancer or help cure cancer, do it earlier. I want to smell the roses a little bit more. I was in, I went to Florence to give a speech. I arrived, I drove two hours to where the speech was. I gave the speech, I drove two hours back. And, and as I'm driving through the, it's just so beautiful countryside. I said, why don't I just stay here? Uh, I have a friend who used to run, he remained nameless, but he used to run one of the biggest banks in the, uh, New York. And he's retired and he was, uh, still has an office at the bank in New York City, lives out of town. He's driving in one beautiful summer morning. And and these two guys, he, as he tells the story, were uh, talking on radio and said, you know, if you didn't have to go to work, why would you today? It's such a beautiful day. He got off at the next exit. He, tell, he made a U-turn and went back home. <laughs> the day you do that, you give me a call and tell me you did it. I will do that. I'm a workaholic. I, 
What nobody understood is when I got into office, number one, I like people, and they didn't understand that. And I, maybe I didn't even understand it, but I still today, if I see a cop on the street, I walk over, I'll cross the street to shake his hand or her hand and say thank you. Sanitation worker, if I walk into your building as doorman, I shake the doorman's hand before I shake yours. I like people. And uh, we had a good, I think one of the reasons we were so successful is because people felt, even if they didn't agree with our policies. It's met. Yes, that they uh, thought I was genuine and cared. So that was one thing. And number two, I'm a workaholic. I loved going in every day for 12 years. Every once in a while, I'd want to, after reading the press, walk out and slam my fist into the lamppost. But it was never that the reporter was wrong. It was that I did something or said something I shouldn't have done. It was my fault. Damn it, why did I do that? Or why didn't I do that? And I learned. And so at the beginning, you know, you don't know the code words for all of the stuff in government. And they kept telling me things about, oh, you can't do this and you can't do that. And after 12 years, I look back and I could have done more. Michael Bloomberg, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And we'd love to know what you think. Will it be down to big business to take action against climate change? What's the right balance between capital and protest. Write to us, radio at economist.com, or you can tweet us at Economist Radio. And while you're with us, do take a moment to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I'm Anne McElvoy, and in New York, this is The Economist. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.